For just over 10 years, the monastery was home to a magical cat who went by the name of Alexei. Some of you actually might remember him because he was fond of sneaking into Mass. And on one occasion, after the dismissal at the end of Mass, he managed to lead the procession down the center aisle. He was a remarkably bold climber. I used to read outside on a second-story porch, and when I was there, he would inevitably would scale the post that held us up, this, this one little four-by-four four post, and uh, plop himself into my lap and then demand to be let into the house. On Holy Thursday in 2008, he slinked into the house after vigils, wheezing and coughing up blood. And we brought him to the kitty ER, uh, which wasn't very convenient on Holy Thursday. But that's how much we thought of this cat. The veterinarian said that his injuries were consistent with a fall from about two stories. So we nursed him back to health, but not without a daily fight to give him his dose of medication. If Alexei was a super cat, his cat kryptonite was the monastery mop, kept in its bucket just behind the door to the basement stairs. No amount of reasoning with this cat could convince him that the mop was not a horrible monster threatening to emerge from the abysmal caverns of our laundry room. He could not grasp that the mop couldn't move by itself and only moved when one of the monks moved it. And he felt he had perfect authority over all the monks, you know, so if he could have made that connection, he could have gotten over his fear. This is just to say that cats, like Alexei, are often poor interpreters of what their senses tell them. If we go all the way back to Aristotle and, and his followers, they tell us that knowledge comes through the senses. This is how we know things. We, we see them, we hear them, and so on. But it's just plain information that comes into our brains, and it doesn't become active knowledge until we interpret it. And uh, children, for example, are often very observant. They see all kinds of things that adults don't see, uh, but they don't interpret very well often. They often make the wrong judgment about what they're experiencing, like cats do. But even us adults, uh, we aren't always keen interpreters of the information that arrives at our eyes and ears. All of us tend to interpret based on meanings given to us by the communities to which we belong, by the experiences that we share together. Uh, certain types of families give certain interpretations of things. And uh, for instance, it's interesting to note that the way we experience pain is often very much determined by the kinds of families we grow up in. If we grow up in, say, like an athletic family um, where it's assumed that you're going to get hurt playing sports, you might have a higher threshold of pain. You might be able to tolerate more pain than someone else. But it remains the case with that in dealing with the world and with other persons, we're dependent on our senses. That's just uh, a truism, I think. And just as you are taking in information by the sound waves that I'm creating by my voice, and the gestures that you see with your eyes and the vestments. I mean, all these things go to interpret what you're hearing me say. Now, this teaching poses a difficulty when it comes to theology. That's because the Bible is emphatic that no one can see God, which is a shorthand way of saying God is not perceivable to our senses. So how can we know about him? Well, we can study the effects of what we determine to be his actions. For example, we can look at creation and say, well, God created this. What sort of being would create what we see? 
This is, there's an act of faith involved in saying he created the universe, by the way. In a mysterious way, God has also revealed things about himself in a very shadowy way in the Old Testament, what we call prophecy. What we're celebrating today in the baptism of the Lord is part of a larger celebration that traditionally begins on the 12th day of Christmas, Epiphany. And that is to say, these are all celebrations of how the Lord has manifested himself to our senses. He's appeared on earth. We no longer have to guess. We can look at Jesus Christ and know God. We can know who God is. We can learn about him from meditating on Christ's life, on his teachings, on his communion with us in the Holy Eucharist and the other sacraments, and so on. The word of God has taken flesh, and now we can see him with our own eyes. The disciples could hear him with their ears and write down what he said. So what do we find out about God? Well, in the visit of the Magi, we find out that God intends to bring salvation even to the Gentiles, to all nations. That the child is God is suggested by the gifts, the, the worship that the Magi give him, the gifts of gold and frankincense. That he's going to save us by dying is given to us by the gift of myrrh. And that God's son would take the form of a child and die for us is not something we would just extrapolate from God's actions before in creation, for example. It's not even easy to derive it from the Old Testament, even though there are prophecies that attest to it ahead of time. Now, today's specific feast of the baptism, we have a wealth of information. I, I couldn't possibly get into all the different things that happen in this very short passage, but I'll give you a few ideas. So we have the announcement that this man, Jesus, is the Son of God. Uh, in, a, in a mysterious way, John and Jesus hear this spoken about him. We have an indication uh, of the Holy Trinity because we have the Father speaking to the Son and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove between the two of them. This figure of a dove is really important. It appears in the scriptures in various places. And again, now we can understand the Old Testament better than we could before. So in today's reading, the the dove remains on Jesus. It says it, com it comes upon him, stays with him, as he emerges from the water. Now, the figure of a dove appeared earlier in the scriptures, remaining not upon a man emerging from water, but from the reestablished dry land, the new creation, emerging after the flood in the time of Noah. And in fact, even earlier than this, we have the Spirit of God in Genesis chapter 1 brooding over the primordial waters like a bird hovering over its offspring. And creation in Genesis chapter 1 turns out to be light emerging from darkness, dry land emerging from the chaos of water. And so this suggests that the appearance of the Holy Spirit in the gospel today is more than an indication that Jesus is going to be a wise man or something. No, Jesus is the new creation. We see that God's intention here is to offer to us in the sacrament of baptism that we share with Jesus, a participation in this new world, this new creation, and offer to leave the old world and to live in Christ. This new life is a hidden one. It's one that we can only really perceive by faith, and at the same time it manifests itself in things we can see with our senses. So it's acquired by consenting to Christ's own death, which he prefigures in going underneath the waters, being submerged in the waters and re-emerging, resurrecting, as it were. 
It is what each of us has been given when we entered the waters that have been sanctified by the Son of God appearing in the flesh. I want to point out that the image of a dove appears in the apse of our church up there in the brown area right above the altar. This is where the new creation manifests itself as the Holy Eucharist. This is visible, it's perceptible to the taste. It is a manifestation, incarnation of the Son of God. We interpret the Eucharist in this way because we are part of the church. Remember earlier I said we interpret based on the community to which we belong. We all assert the same thing and therefore it becomes natural to us to say yes. What appears to be bread and wine to the senses is actually the Son's body and blood, Christ's body and blood. So the faith of the church not only asserts this reality, but it has created a new out of the encounter that we have with Christ in the Eucharist and in all the sacraments. So we're constantly encountering Christ because of our faith, and then we share this with one another, and we become uh, members of his body this way. This faith of ours is precisely the interpretive key to all of creation. It's like the Rosetta Stone that unlocks the hidden spiritual meaning of all that comes to our senses. One of the most important lessons that we learn is that no matter what creatures emerge from the lake of the apocalypse, we do not have to be afraid. Whatever Christ commands us to do that feels like it might be too difficult or too painful, we don't need to be afraid of that either. Uh, we, we can know that it's allowed by Christ. It's willed as part of his providence. We need only to hold on to him and allow him to carry us up from the chaos of the underworld to his heavenly kingdom, to put our trust in him and let him guide us through whatever sufferings and hardships may come our way. And we hold on to Christ by remaining in the faith of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And so may Christ bring us all together to eternal life.